Blog Talk Radio. The following program is brought to you by Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. Hi, I'm Lady Redhawk. Hi, I'm John Carousella, and this is A Shamanic Life. Welcome back. I'm John Carousella, and this is A Shamanic Life. And this time on A Shamanic Life, this, uh, we have a very special program. It is focused on the, uh, the Celtic holiday, holy day, Sabbath of Samhain. And with me uh, for this special program is Lady Red Hawk, also known as Susie Peltier. And we are going to spend the show talking about the, the power of Samhain, the holiday itself, the time of year, as well as the ritual that Lady Redhawk has developed as part of the Taoist Wiccan tradition. And we'll have um, some different perspectives that, that we bring into the show. Uh, but first, I want to hand it over to Lady Redhawk for her to sh- sort of set the stage for, um, for the nature of Samhain and the power of Samhain. So, thank you, John, for having me today. And this is... A, an excerpt from Khalil Gibran's The Prophet. And I'm pulling it out of the book because it beautifully summarizes the real point of Samhain. Yes, Samhain is, is what many of you would recognize as Halloween. We've talked about it with John in other conversations that there, that it's an ancestor, right? It's the last harvest. But for the Celts and also the people of South and Central America, it was not only an honoring of the dead, um, Dia de los Muertos and so forth, but it, in the Taoist Wicked tradition, takes us back to the primal soup, the um, primordial collective unconscious that remains in us to this day, that's a remnant of the hunter-gatherer experience um, where people lived by following the herds and they felt that there was everything alive, rocks, plants, animals, they were kin. And so, yes, you had to eat, you had, things had to die, and there was a fundamental rift in the balance when you did that and you had to fill that rift with prayers and respect for those sacrifices and from that came a whole mythos for the hunter and the hunted um, and and a sacred psychic connection that went beyond the particular beast and beyond the particular hunter it it Deeped itself into an entire mythos that when you look at the gods in general, they all had to do with your survival in some way. The first were the animals, as you followed the herds. So these, this idea that you had to forge a bond with the animal kin and that that occasionally they ate one of you and you ate them and that was kind of how it went. 
but there's a, a deeper thing that we can take away from that when we when we kind of go back to this is the relationship between the god and the goddess, which in Taoist Wicca is a very balanced dance of active and receptive forces of the infinite and that which is always changing. So the god represents change and the goddess um, the everlasting. So he um, spurs the growth and um, that love moves the heavens, you might say. I like that. Yeah, yeah. that love moves the heavens. Yeah. So um, I use this as the intention statement in our Salon ritual. And the context in the book is the student is asking the master, tell us about love. Ah. And here's the answer. When love beckons to you, follow him, though his ways are hard and steep. And when his wings enfold you, yield to him, though the sword hidden among his pinions may wound you. And when he speaks to you, believe in him, though his voice may shatter your dreams as the north wind lays waste the garden. For even as love crowns you, so shall he crucify you. And even as he is for your growth, so is he for your pruning. And even as he ascends to your height and caresses your tenderest branches as they quiver in the sun, so shall he descend to your roots and shake them in their very clinging to the earth. Like sheaves of corn, he gathers you onto himself. He threshes you to make you naked. He sifts you to make you pliant. And then he assigns you to his sacred fire, that you may become sacred bread for the gods' sacred feast. All these things shall love do unto you, that you may know the secrets of your own heart. And in that knowledge become a fragment of life's heart. But if in your fear you would seek only love's peace and love's pleasure, then it is better that you cover your nakedness and leave love's threshing floor and go into the seasonless world where you shall laugh, but not all of your laughter, and weep, but not all of your tears. Very powerful statement. Very moving um, and uncompromising description of the real depth of the the of love of what yes. love is in the universe yes yes and then it takes everything to yeah. be present to it and in that moment that the god that the horned one decides he's going to take that arrow or he decides because it is um, a conscious choice to be that sacrifice. But it takes him into a greater union with the goddess. He fulfills uh, an ancient role to turn the wheel of the year. Because you'll remember that hunters, you know, they lived off the meat. They, the whole tribe would die if that animal did not surrender itself. Hmm. 
Very powerful. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk more about that, and we're going to talk about that that um, very powerful part of the Samhain ritual with Lord Salmon. Do you want to share a little bit about Lord Salmon on his behalf? Yes, yes. I have known him for eight years, and he's a minister and a master carpenter, and... Um, was recently elevated to second-degree high priest in the Taoist Wiccan tradition. And what that means in our tradition is that there's not only a dedication to deepen your relationship to the Lord and Lady in your personal life, but that you extend that into service with the community. He's very active with uh, the Lions Club. Oh, he's active all over his community. Oh, he's he's just all over and um, fantastic uh, shaman and um, and an exemplar of what it means to be a community leader, to be a masculine elder. Yes, right? and be, a very well integrated, balanced, yeah, yeah. gentle man. So I hope you're not blushing there, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> and he is a remarkable channel. And the reason we channel. In the ritual, I might add, is that um, channeling is a very ancient um, derivative of the trance state. Um, The shamans or medicine people of the tribes did it. It was common to, in a hunting rite, to have someone wearing the mask of the horned one and um, acting out the kill in on the astral was um, and then saying the prerequisite prayers, not only calling that spirit, but honoring them and praying for their rebirth. And this is part, uh, this is how our ancestors live, so it's part honoring our ancestors and our dead, but also in the very distant past, but in our in our most cellular being, it's a very powerful recollection to be among masks and fire and um, the spirits when the veil is very thin, mm. and you and the potential for for great insight and for laying your own path to rest is is maximized. So we're going to talk a lot more about that and other aspects of sound. But before we do that, let's take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to share, we're going to hear from Lord Salmon about what it's like to channel the Horned One. We'll be right back. At Firefly Willows LIVE, we're working hard to be your trusted source for fun, enlightening, and heart-centered information and community. And we're passionate about the art of transformative media, the new leading edge of communication in our highly connected, media-rich world. If you're passionate about facilitating change and you have gifts or ideas you'd like to share, come join us, host a show, or be a guest, or connect us to an amazing speaker or teacher whose message is too good to miss. There's always room for courageous, knowledgeable changemakers, inspired artists, and new ideas. Let us know you're interested. Send an email to info at fireflywillows.com. We're Firefly Willows, L-I-V-E helping you find and shine your inner light. Welcome back. I'm John Carasella, and this is A Shamanic Life. And this is a special edition of Shamanic Life with Lady Redhawk, founder of 
the Taoist Wiccan tradition. And with us now, we have a second-degree priest in the Taoist Wiccan tradition, Lord Salmon. And Lord Salmon is going to take us through a conversation about the powerful experience that comes with channeling the Horned One and the Sacred Hunter in the ritual of Samhain. Now, we we know a, a little bit about, and, and Lady Redhawk is, is giving us uh, the whole background on the story and the power of Samhain. Um, but I, I think it might be interesting to, to dwell on this very powerful and, and masculine aspect of the highest ritual, the highest ceremony in the Celtic year and in the goddess tradition. This is a very masculine role. So, and you, you've been part of this ritual for a number of years and, and played this role in the ritual, the role of the hunter and the horned one. And maybe if you could share with us what that experience has been for you and how and what it means. Well, I think the experience deepens over the years. But um, it's it's always a, a revelation each time to um, to channel that energy and to to confront one's mortality, to understand the nature of life, death, sacrifice, community. And how? So explain a little bit how the ritual brings that out sort of um, thematically and ritually, and then explain how it brings it out emotionally and spiritually. So t- tell us a little bit about what happens. Um, usually, it's it. There's uh, for the the twin parts, the uh, the yin and the yang of the relationship. The the sacred hunter announces that he comes to praise his his brothers his, and his sisters, his animal brothers and his animal sisters, and and to do them honor. And it's this point of understanding the balance of of the hunt, of the hunter and the hunted, of life and death, of what it takes to survive on this plane. And an appreciation for the spirit that and the um and the essence of nutrition and how this feeds us and sustains us through the darkest part of the year. And from there, it kind of, it, it also moves into a blessing of the balance that we find in that. And, and, and there's a, there's a very real, I guess, acceptance and acknowledgement that some things die in order for other things to live. And, and it's not just a passive dying process. It's a harvesting process. It's a taking. Yes. And in that, there's the, there's the taking and also the willingness to be the sacrifice. Yes. There's also the giving. I found that to be very poignant and probably the most powerful part for me was the, the horned one in his magnificence. Yes. Willing to be the sacrifice. At the peak of life. At the peak of life. Yes. And it's many times said that they, the hunters will notice that the, um, the, the sacrifice is willing. It stands there. It knows you're taking aim. I think this is why 
being a great hunter was not about being stealthy. It was about being pure. Being and honorable, in, yes. And right relationship. Right. Yeah, because with, because otherwise they wouldn't they wouldn't with the sacred they wouldn't they wouldn't come to sacrifice you. for you right yeah didn't matter how stealthy you were how quiet and how skilled in the techniques they had to be willing mm-hmm. that is the nature of this hunt so once the horned one is is called in and and descends upon whoever is channeling that energy um, the the first impression is one very much of, of wildness. You you understand the the beast in you and the um, uh, the energy and the the magnificent force, the life, the vitality, the sexual prowess, the beauty of it, and and all of that fills you in in that moment and more. And, and in the process, it begins to, to blossom up further and further until the, the concept of life and sacrifice and, and that balance becomes apparent. And, and at some level, it's understood, it's known, and, and it's uh, the fate that's cast in that moment. And it, it's understood by all parties. It's a shared moment, a shared that this would not happen. These mo- this moment would not happen without this. And uh, and the the willingness to to be the sacrifice. What does that bring up for you as when that happens? When you channel this this being, do you what what do you reflect on in that moment? What does the what does the horned one reflect on in that moment, and what does Lord Salmon experience and reflect on in that moment? It's true. It's two different things. I mm-hmm. think. I think you've experienced it too. There's a, a part, definitely, definitely from the horned one's point of view, it's um, it's that big question of, you know, why why am I sacrificing for these people? Mm-hmm. And. Um, and there's there's a, that weighingness of the of the worthiness, I think, of the cause, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's probably one of the biggest thresholds, whether whether it's how I reflect on it later or how I'm feeling in the moment, that 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 entity has to step across that threshold that has to be crossed. Yeah, yeah. To accept one's death. And, and one sacrifice, and 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 to and to feel that it's your destiny, even if you're not entirely sure that it's going to be honored, exactly, or that it's going to have any kind of positive outcome. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, there's, exactly. And, and that's the threshold that it, it needs to be crossed. That's a, and it's a fascinating thing because that's such a, you know, in the moment the. The feeling of power, the feeling of active principal power, the, the mm-hmm. divine masculine, that, that is present and accessible, lends itself to such a commitment to vulnerability. It's like, I'm going to go do this. Mm-hmm. A total <laughs> rawness, an exposed viscera. Mm-hmm. If you will, 
Yeah. And we'll talk a little bit more about that yeah. later. And that, and that is the threshold that I think takes it to the next level. And, um, and I think, I think finally what comes in is the realization at a, at a very uh, deep and spiritual level that goes beyond the time and the life and the death. Uh, but this, this sense of the, of, of the cycle and the tenderness of the sacrifice of, of the young, of, of that which is coming next. And, and also the, the aspects of the horned one is, is a psychopomp and actually has a very tender side that, that, um, that guides us to the other side mm. that takes us through the veil. And so there's this whole tenderness that you normally would not attribute to the stag part, which is where you kind of where you enter the channeling. But as it, de- as it develops and, and particularly, um, once experiencing one's death, it, it certainly at that point has transformed to this whole other level where, where you begin to understand the the masculine cycle of life and death whereas and from that point of view you begin to see how how permanent the feminine is and the possibility and so here in the cosmos is this whole repository of all the stardust and all the possibility of of life but with that and with the masculine aspect of, of of this birth and action that 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 also has the other end of it where it has to die and return. So it's almost like, um, huh, to use an, electrical, an electrician's terminology, it's like the feminine is the common or the ground. <laughs> yeah. And the masculine is the charge. Yeah, the charge. And the charge cycles up yeah. and uh, above and below the, yeah. the, the substrate. So, so it's like, uh, and the consciousness. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, of course, this this is an analogy and metaphor right. that that transcends that into the fabric of our reality, right? The duality intrinsic exactly. to our reality is, you know, it's not it's not uh, it's not the maybe it's not the polarity that we thought uh, or that is commonly understood that you know uh, plus and minus. You mean? Yeah, it's not necessarily plus and minus. It's it's stability and change. Mm-hmm. In in harmony. In harmony. And harmony, of course, is very Taoist in saying that that's accomplished through a constant flux, and right. that's the reason that there's a squiggle in the Tao. Right. It's, it's it's meant to symbolize constant movement. Right. So so this the experience leading up to and and into the channeling process and at the moment of uh, at the moment of sacrifice leads out into you said a tenderness describe describe that what is what is that why is that there why is that tenderness there what does it what is it triggered by i think when confronting our own death our our mortality um it it certainly opens one's heart and one's appreciation of all that's around us and how we interact with that, our passion, our love. And, and so in a sense, death opens the door for love and for the heart and for passion and compassion. 
Why is that? Hmm. That's a deep question. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Who? <laughs> you know, Can I take a stab at that? Sure. Um, one guess I might posit is that um, just like if we go back, the, the beauty, I think, of Wicca is that you have an agricultural model. And composting, the seed has to be uh, removed from the stock um thrashing process it's not an easy process right. and um and then there's a return a, com- a a a composting a while disintegrating mm-hmm. and i think that love and death is a disintegration that kind of has to make us you know ready for the things that catalyze the next the next step and I think everything kind of comes from love. So if you can kind of return to that and, and see Samhain as a metaphor to returning to the great no thing, as a disintegration, first of all, of the ego, but the God returns to the goddess. They are reunited. In death. In, in his death. Now there is no form separating their spirit to spirit. Uh-huh. Union. Uh-huh. Okay. And so but they it lacks are... the charge. <laughs> <laughs> it lacks the charge and the passion at that point. But it's it, yes. But it's there's a, such a recognition and an oh I'm. Yes. There's a. I'm home. I recognize you. I love and, you. <laughs> and, and, it, and it's extremely poignant because you know we understand in in that moment the dissolution of of all of the dance. In, in the sunlight mm. and and how sweet and how profound uh, right and, right and um that all of it is and I, I think i think that's a common experience too with people who suddenly find out you know from their doctor or something that they have you know six months a year to live or something like that and all of a sudden they say wow i'm i'm really tasting everything now right. i'm really every moment i'm um, you Alive. Know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it was interesting what you you described it as a tenderness for the young, for the ones that come after, and um, what came up for me is the willingness to sacrifice the self, uh, and and become become a part of the process that nurtures the dance, right? It nurtures the the ever unfolding or we would hope ever unfolding dance of life um, and because you realize how sweet that is that it's really hard to be selfish in that moment and if you can serve to to stimulate and feed and nurture the next because you know you because we know that you know it, it can't go on the way we're constructed, it can't go on for us forever. And perhaps if it did go on for us forever, it would cease to be sweet. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But if you can feed the next generation, if you can feed the cycle, then you, then, then the sweetness is all the more um, invested. You're invested all the more in the sweetness by the fact that you've yeah. given your very, your very material self to that process. And you're consciously planting energy seeds. That's what the practice of Wicca is, really. It, you know, it is. It's a, it, right. We're going to go through this process one way or the other. If it's 
if it's consciously, if we're aware of it, then then it begins to um, to have more benefit, I think, to our to our beingness, to that to that which goes on, and and also at the same time it helps us direct that which stays here. It helps us to to weave and warp that just a little bit to say, okay, you know, in in my mind's eye, in my will, um, this is where the young is. Mm-hmm. And you know, I choose to fertilize, you know, roses and instead of weeds. Right, right. So, yes. so in effect, it's a directed sacrifice. Yes. yes. But it's not controlled. No, it's it's unless I say you're pushing the weave a little bit. It's not yeah. like we can change it greatly. Right. Which is a, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting um, active principle receptive, you know, surrender principle, right? In the same in the same act, there's a very conscious choice to the active part is the choice, the upshot is the surrender. The choice to surrender. Yeah. It's a very, very Taoist dual. Very Taoist and very yes. bold. Very, yes. very Courageous. young, very mm. masculine, very sexy. <laughs> <laughs> but, you, but you're dead after that, so it's not, not so great. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there right. is that great poignant moment there. <laughs> Where everyone's awake and everyone's vibrating and you're, and you're you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It sort of makes it worth it. It's all there. <laughs> Well, let's make, let's face it. You'll make the journey one way or the other, anyway. the the yeah. The whole idea of trance is that trance comes from an old French word. It meant practice death. So you got, did all these little mini deaths as to change consciousness, so you could practice that surrender into that moment and that experience. And so, trancing mm-hmm. in a ritual is very old. And this is a, in a sense, a Paleolithic. Well, right. yeah. You know, this is one of the things that struck me the first time I participated in the ritual is just how long this uh, practice of the hunter and the hunted, the dance between the hunter and the hunted, and the willingness of the animals, the willingness of spirit. In, that it, as it embodied in all in the animals and in the human to flow to have this this wheel turn to have this 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 groove be the place where we where we experience life and death how long that's been going on right and as a consequence just how profound and fundamental it is to living in this place to having a body and 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 experiencing the cycles of life and how long we've been not just doing it but how long we've been ritualizing our understanding of it mm-hmm. which doubles down the yeah. power of both the act and the ritual and i think mm. i think that's missing in our understanding of you know, in the Western understanding of going hunting. Mm-hmm. Now, it might not be it might not be so missing for for those who live close to the land, 
Um, but I think there's something, and maybe, and maybe that's something that those of us who don't hunt don't understand about hunting, mm-hmm. is that it isn't just about going and killing an animal, that it puts you in touch with something so fundamental that even if you're not consciously aware of what it all means, it takes you to a place of, uh, touches, it's a deep, deep thread that you touch in the process. Well, you're certainly touching the collective unconscious. Oh, for sure. If nothing else. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you're swimming in it at that point. I mean, if you're, if you're getting blood on your hands, you're swimming in the collective unconscious. Mm. Because the hunters, of course, got messy. They couldn't haul a whole animal home. They had to draw and quarter it wherever they were, generally. Yeah. And and even when they got it back, it needed to be cleaned and sorted out and so there, oh, so yeah, the whole tribe got messy. Yeah. And the other thing about sacrifice is this idea that sacrifice comes from the word to make sacred. Mm-hmm. To make does not yeah. mean to it has to hurt to work. It just means that occasionally you do have to recognize that there are cosmic forces that are in balance and surrender to that balancing surrender to the surrender to the willingness to sense and be responsive to that balance yes you know like and conscious to that balance yeah because that because that's really what it you know that's where the sacrifice sometimes hurts right is when you when you realize oh oh the right thing to do here is for me to do something that's uncomfortable for me because that's what keeps things in balance. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times that's not, you know, we don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, remembering not to, not to waste, you know, and, and remembering take, taking just the time to recycle and things. It's like, yeah. Uh, the, yeah. 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 And, you know, and, that, and that's, and all the way along we see that. And then, you know, often the extreme you see, you know, 160 pairs of tu- elephant tusks being confiscated off of a ship somewhere in the world, and and you think, wow, that's really out of balance. Yeah, yeah. So it takes it takes a lot of people, uh, a lot of people working in balance to offset that which is not in balance. That which is not in balance. Yeah. That which is not held sacred. Yeah. Know? Well, I want to thank you, Lord Salmon, for your willingness to be part of that process to, for you know, the work you do in the, in the ritual sound for Taoist Wicca. Um, Me too. And, uh, <laughs> and for the insights that you bring all along the way. So, well, thank thanks, you. Thanks for sharing with us. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you. We'll be right back. Do you have a workshop, protocol, or modality that you'd like to explore with our audience? Come and join us on the air. Share why you love it how it helps us shine and empowers us to live more fully. Share your inspiration. You never know who might be listening and whose lives you'll touch. Contact John Carousella on Facebook or by email at jc at fireflywillows.com for details. Welcome back. I'm John Carousella, and this is A Shamanic Life. And with me for today's very special Samhain episode is... Lady Redhawk, also known as Susie Peltier, 
Lady Redhawk is the founder of the Taoist Wiccan tradition, and it is through that lens that we are going to talk about the power and magic of Samhain. This year, we were, and, and in particular this program, we're going to talk about in a little bit more depth about the the power of Samhain and kind of, um, I think, a reflection on, on the Taoist Wiccan tradition in general, the Wheel of the Year, which I think you're going to share. Yes. Um, but I think we're also going to talk a little bit more about the the god, the role of the god, yes. as opposed to the goddess. You know, because in in Wicca we we have this sense of reverence for the goddess and the presence of the goddess. Um, and in earth based traditions in general, we we especially um, in modern times we embrace the goddess as sort of a, a, a centerpiece. Um, but that can be just as unbalanced as a patriarchal system that focuses solely on the God. So it's going to be fun to explore how the God plays, the role that the God plays in the story of Taoist Wicca, which it's Wicca, but it's also Taoist, so it's right. going to have to be balanced. Right. right, it's going to have to be balanced. So so let's, so let's, yeah. let's talk about that. Yeah, let's talk about that. Um, in my personal background, first of all, as a massage therapist, what I observed, and of course, you know, Chinese medicine, the underpinnings of Chinese medicine is Taoism. So I didn't come in through the Wicca door. I came in through the body work and Chinese medicine aspect of understanding Taoism and how qi operated. Right. And so I stumbled upon or was guided to begin to understand that the the Sabbaths in Wicca often pinpointed themes that were going through mirroring themselves both physically, psychically, and emotionally in people who had nothing to do with Wicca. <laughs> right. Right. And so this is when they're when they're on the table. So. Yes, yes. Or when or brain drain over a cup of tea, which is kind of my interview process when people come <laughs> come to me so that I can get a feel of their energy and get a sense of what what they need because I've got a big bag of uh, tricks, Reiki right. master, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So um, from that understanding, I can continue to watch. Um, how these themes evolved and compared different books. And the books did not agree. Some, the traditions did not agree. The this calendars is, did not agree. And these are, Wicca. these, okay. So all is, books within Wicca. Within Wicca, right. And, you know, I had this burning question. How is it that, how ritual fits in there and what's ritual? So from that, it evolved this this view of the seasons and an understanding to take take what these sabbats have to offer from um, a uh, from what w- different traditions tell us within Wicca, mm-hmm. but also because they didn't agree, I had to sit with it and just be with it, tune into the energy of the season as well as I could, just from my own being tune into the themes that my that the abundance of my clients seem to be coming in with at the time mm-hmm. and from it evolved the rituals as we do them in a, in the Taoist Wiccan tradition and it was probably well into this 7th year that Taoist Wicca really be, began to evolve as 
a graphic, something that I could explain from a theoretical standpoint. However, the rituals had already evolved. And so the rituals, so the rituals came from the impressions that you got right. sitting with the clients. Right. And the structure came upon reflecting on the rituals that seemed to serve the the the, the mass the, of the population the of the I people. was working with. Yes. That's very interesting. Yes. So so in a way. It's, so they were very organically yeah, developed yeah, from but, me and through my own artistic, dare we say, channeling of the divine sure what what's interesting though is that it's it didn't start as um it didn't start as an art project and it didn't start as a spiritual project it started as a uh a healing project a healer's quest yes yeah that's that's very interesting (laughs) yeah so that's hence when i began to see the Tao in the seasons and if you imagine if you're listening for the first time or just tuned in at our Maybon show uh, when I kind of kept John company um, you'll notice that we took the the um, I offered a suggestion that if you draw a circle bisect it horizontally bisect it the top one could be your winter uh, solstice, and the bottom one could be your summer solstice. And then you have the two equinoxes. And if you then divide it with an S, and you make one your creation cycle from Yule, midwinter solstice, the sun is growing. Then it turns at the solstices are turning points. You are um growing, 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 planting seeds, um, having flirtations and love affairs in Beltane and fertilizing all that with love. And then, boom, the light turns and you enter a season of decline. You have a perfect light and dark balance. opposition balance. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing that, that is most beautiful and equal in Wicca and all earth-based spiritualities is this view of complementary duality where you don't have adversaries. You have balancers to one another, complements, things that, that, that bring about harmony through creating um, tension at times, through creating always a flux, and that's what the S in the middle of the Tao represents. Yeah, yeah. It means constant flux. It means there's balance caused by yeah, constant is, flux. And it has and to be... This is key in Samhain. Yeah, and balance without change is stasis. It can't happen. It's, yeah, it's, you don't have balance. It's not balance. If you have stasis. It's stuckness. Right. Right. So the beauty of this... Uh, the beauty of the architecture of life, mm-hmm. so to speak, yes. is that it flows from it flows from one to, from one side to the other at various scales across mm-hmm. across the universe and that 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 ebbing and flowing is not a bug it's a feature right it's supposed to do that right 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 so in a way um right it is not a flaw in the system no it's not a flaw in the system and so we have to embrace change in order to recognize that 
feature as a feature mm-hmm. in the system and harmonize ourselves, uh, you know, align ourselves to that as a feature as like, it's not a problem. It's actually a benefit. Yes. Um, and that becomes, you know, that's easy at Beltane. <laughs> then you have the God and the goddess and the maypole. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. But it's, it's, um, it's not so easy at Samhain. No. No. Let's, so let's talk about why it's not so easy at Samhain. Right. Right. Well, first of all, if we go back to that little diagram we were talking about, Beltane you just mentioned is in Taoist Wicca uh, seen as, yes, it is the overarching fertility rite. The maypole represents the god's phallus, the sun impregnating Mother Earth. Um, but we look at it as a self-coaching tool, as a time to look at self-love. Because self-love is the key to what we are capable of generating. Hmm. Love is a generating, a generator. Yes. It's love, a cosmic yeah. generator. Right, right. And this will fit in very, very well in a moment when I kind of talk about the God and Goddess relationship. Mm-hmm. To Salon. Okay. But um, in short, to answer your question, opposite to Beltane is Salon. So at that, at Beltane, the goddess became the bride. At Salon, she becomes the widow. And so that's kind of a bummer. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And that's why it's, and that's, and it, and so it's, so it's really sound as a recognition of death as a part of that balance, that yes. flux. Yes. And, and, and we don't, we don't get along with death very well. Well, we have tried to sanitize it in this culture and it hasn't no, worked. No, we've, we've tried to do more than sanitize it. We've tried to kill it. Yeah, alleviate it. Yeah. Certainly. Eliminate certainly. it. Yeah. Yeah. To eradicate death is a real paradox, but we have, are certainly trying. We're throwing millions of dollars. Billions. Billions. Yeah, it's of dollars. It's kind of crazy. Yes. Um, Yes. Instead of really, instead of instead of investing in health, we invest in keeping death at bay. Right. And that is a fool's errand, if ever there was one. Right. Right. And in it is lost an appreciation for time, and the crone aspect in both men and women. However, women feel it much keener, and um, there is an expectation that women keep themselves up hmm. um, uh, far, far longer than it is expected for men to keep themselves up. Hmm. And so you have a direct kind of slam against women and the goddess still, which I think makes a god-goddess balance approach and i will say most traditions in wicca see the god and goddess from a balanced perspective there but, but are it, it's not only a, f- a handful such as the dianics for example that um choose to see the god as kind of a sperm donor and consider him to be a, a part of the balance, however, their balance is more like 95 to 5%, and, mm-hmm. and that is what is in balance for them. Mm-hmm. 
Right. And what we have to remember when we talk about balance is that does not represent in a snapshot 50-50. Because it's in flux. Because it's in flux. Mm. Right. Yeah. So, so this is very important to remember just in our day-to-day relationships. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I wanted to touch on a little bit on the, on the, uh, a bit more on the metaphysics here. Um, what is the metaphysical, uh, component of the God and the metaphysical component of the goddess? I think to answer this question best, I'm going to go to, um, uh, Starhawk, um, her 10th anniversary spiral dance. And, so um, tell us a little bit about this book, The Spiral Dance. This book um, was one of my kind of five primers that represented different uh, traditions within Wicca. And it is the book that eventually, because part of the book, as in many books of their time, gave you a page and a half to three pages on their traditions, outlook, on the, and, sab- and Sabbath celebrations. Mm, okay. But it eventually became the um, the template that I would use for the themes in general, because it most fit, again, the issues that my clients and my circle members were coming in with and, and showing up with. Mm-hmm. So it became the direct template in general for the themes of each Sabbath that I um, use in the rituals particular to our tradition. Okay. And that's not to say that we don't vary them from time to time, but but I seem to have hit on something that the people really like. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right. And and she published this book um, originally a long time ago. Oh, many, many years ago, yes. Uh, It was copyright 1979. Wow, so this really was sort and, of at the beginning of... And the, then again, 89, yes. Yeah, so so the beginning of um, a the, reemergence of... The movement. Of, of the movement. Right. Uh, and and she talks about a spiral, which yes. is sort of like the... So or how does she talk about the spiral? What is the role of the spiral in her work? Well, she has a number of ways of seeing it. So let me go in the one that's pertinent to our conversation. Okay, great. Um, that... If you're working the wheel, time unfolds a little bit like a slinky toy. So the gift of working the Sabbaths is not that you just do a year's cycle, but that you look back and use them each as meditations because you touch back on these as life themes. But you're always at a different place. Right, because it, it might be Samhain again, but it's not this. It's not last year's Samhain. It's, it's not year's last year's, and you are not in the same place, right. which means it's Witch's annual final exam. My words, not hers. But <laughs> right, right, right. I like that though. <laughs> where you really have to bear. You've been practicing trance, T R A N S, uh, means to go ahead, go beyond, move beyond, and if you put it with form, go beyond form. But there's a hitch. You have to be between forms before you can transform. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And and Samhain is that disintegration point. That's where you dis- where you take some part of yourself and leave, and and, and leave it behind. Yes. Take take the form away from it. And that way you can become part of life's heart. It's something bigger, the great no thing, 
Mm. the shamans called it. Mm. Um, of course, if you see it as we often view it, it's nothing. Right. But the great no thing is the great ready space. Right. Not empty. Right. Ready. Yeah. Right. And it is the cauldron womb of the goddess. Okay. And Samhain is her primal soup. Right. Okay. It's the time when everything is cut up, thrown in boiling water, and becomes misshapen and melded into everything else. Hence, you have to lose a bit of your ego. The celery tastes a little like the potatoes, (laughs) tastes a little bit like the oregano, tastes a little bit like everything else. Uh, uh Uh-huh. Okay. All right. So, back to the metaphysics of the god and the goddess now. So, you talked about the goddess as the cauldron. So, let's let's explore that a little more. Let's go there. She writes, in the beginning, the goddess is all, virgin, meaning complete within herself. Although she is called goddess, she could just as easily be called god. Sex has not yet come into being. As yet, there is no separation, no division, nothing but primal unity. Yet, the female nature of the ground of being is stressed because the process of creation that is about to occur is a birth process. The world is born, not made, not commanded into being. The goddess sees her reflection in the curved mirror of space, which may be a magical insight into the form of the universe, the curved space of modern physics. The mirror is an ancient attribute of the goddess. The beautiful woman with the round mirror, the golden comb, the fishtail, the goddess of love arising from the sea. And in um, in the Eleusinian Mysteries uh, in Greece, went through a love rite with her representative after taking a cauldron bath. Now, the, he, here is a symbol in the cauldron that you find also in the Welsh tradition and the story of Caradwen, who is my patron. A goddess of death, inspiration, and rebirth, and a very famous shamanic story uh, of an ordeal, in a sense, that um, creates Merlin. Um, so you see this this idea of the cauldron as the the, the primal brew. Um, then she goes on to say, a mirror image is reversed. The same image, but opposite, the reverse polarity. The image expresses the paradox. All things are one, yet each thing is separate, individual, unique. Eastern religions tend to focus on the part, on the first part of the paradox, holding the view that reality, in reality, all things are one, and that separation and individuality are illusions. Western religions stress individuality and tend to see the world as composed of fixed and separate things. The Western view tends to encourage individual effort and involvement with the world. Eastern view encourages withdrawal, contemplation, and compassion. Witchcraft holds the truth of paradox and sees each view as equally valid. They reflect and complement each other. 
They do not contradict each other. The world of separate things is the reflection of the one. And the one is the reflection of the myriad of separate things of the world. We are all swirls. There's your spiral again. We are all swirls of the same energy, yet each swirl is unique in its own form and pattern. The goddess falls in love with herself, drawing forth her own emanation, which takes on a life of its own. Love for self is the creative force of the universe. Desire is the primal energy, and that energy is erotic. The attraction of lover to beloved, to planet, to star, the lust of electron for proton, love is the glue that holds the world together. Love is not only the energizing force, but an individualizing force. It dissolves separation, yet creates individuality. It is, again, a primal paradox. The world is not a flawed creation or something from which we must escape or need salvation or redemption. However, it might appear from day to day, by nature of its deepest being, it can fill us with wonder. So, what is the role of the God? So, the God is that, if she's the act of creation, he's what is created and destroyed. He is that electron. But he to stay in his orbit with her, to continue the dance, he represents change. That means life and death. So he is what is created and destroyed, but be utterly beloved in that process. Okay, so when we say, when we say um, God, the goddess is the constant mm-hmm. and the God is the change, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's an active principle embedded in the God, in, mm-hmm. the, in the masculine. So it's not that, he's, that the God is just that which is created and destroyed, but he's also that which stimulates creation and destruction. Yes? That's true for both of them. So if you go back to the dot, the, uh, the, the two, if you go back to the Tao, and we have one more piece of the picture to complete, we have to put that dot of the other color mm-hmm. in there. Right, right. And if we call that catalyst love, but you have a light dot in the dark field, that's the bit of the god within the goddess. Mm-hmm. And the dark dot in the light field, that's the bit of the goddess within the god. Mm. And so, yes, he, she represents constancy, but she's changing too, mother maiden crone. He represents change. He could be adventurer, father, sage. He could be um, a sun, seed, and stag. Um, which we'll get into in in in, we'll uh, in a moment, yes, and and uh, or he is the sun and she is the moon. Uh, there are lots of different um, from different epochs of time, had different reference points in which people were were relating to um, the God aspect. But if we go back eons before that, there was one great goddess. The God was not yet a fleshed out idea 
And so you saw the moon and the earth as representative of the goddess. And the earth waxed and waned in its seasons, and the goddess waxed and waned in her moon. And women women actually had the capacity to bleed and not die. Right. Which was utterly... Mystifying. Yeah. Miraculous. Yeah. So, in the context of the god um, as change and as active principle, let's explore... How does the active principle, the God, become represented as sun, seed, and stag? Okay. Horned one. Okay. We spent about 250,000 years. When I say we, I mean collective humanity. No matter where on the earth you trace your ancestors. Collective humanity chased animals, (laughs) uh, foraged and lived in small group units and in general had an animistic or believing that rock, uh, plant, animals, everything was a living, pulsing spirit and nature, uh, nature inspirited. Um, and so they're shamans, medicine people, seers, uh, diviners, herbalists, uh, healers, um, were all, um, at the forefront of this, uh, of this, of bridging spirituality and daily life. Medicine and spirit, uh, were not separate things. Medicine and power were not separate words. So you had your medicine people serving the spiritual life of the community as well and helping shape the culture in the process. Right. Okay. So um, we have three different epochs of human history and uh, the Paleolithic being the oldest and you had the uh, hunter-gatherer experience and the horned one, um, it was the, if you lived in Africa, it was the ibex. If you lived in um, the na- in the, in North America, it would have been the bison. If you um, lived in the far north, it might have been the the, the moose or the reindeer. Um, if you lived in the woodlands, it would have been the stag. Right, right. So um, it that epoch brings to us this concept of the horned one, and then you look at different cultures. Um, getting settled, if they were settled in pastoral, maybe it was the ram as a horned one. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it was, um, or if they were really settled, maybe it was the bull. Right. Um, and I struggled with that. Being self-taught, I struggled with that. You know, well, which one's right? And there are so many, and I don't know, I'm confused. Um, the point was, it was the totem animal, the animal representing the spirit of all of the animals that kind of had this capacity to mystic, mysteriously speak to the other animal kin and and ask them, one of them or several of them or a whole herd, to sacrifice itself for you. Okay, so these were, in some cases, they were for hunters. Absolutely. And in, in some cases, they were uh, derived from animal husbandry. Yes, but the husbandry came later in the Neolithic period. The seed gods came in in the Neolithic period when we learned to plant. That's late Stone Age. 
we learned to plant. And we're thinking we're pushing that clock to about 10,000 years ago. Okay. Um, then, as we learned to plant, we learned to we developed animal husbandry, kept some some animals around, and so forth. Then you go into the Bronze Age, and that was when you had the beginning of the solar deities. You had the rise of cities, um, Mesopotamia. Um, observatories and so forth, and this rise of solar gods, among them uh, were the Jews. Mm-hmm. And that led us right into monotheism, eventually. So I, so I had this totally backwards. I thought it was sun, then... I say them backwards. You say when them I'm, backwards. I, I, yeah. It's it's so it's me, actually sorry. stag, stag, seed, sun. If you're trying to remember them chronologically. chronologically yes. Ah. Uh, okay, so, uh, so the latest incarnation of the God was as the sun. Or you might say as... O-N, as in Christ, would be the latest incarnation. Well, okay, well, I, I, I want to set that aside okay. for a minute. Because um, what I, I guess I just want to touch on the the evolution. And maybe this is not, maybe we're get set, uh, straying a little far afield from the role of the God in Samhain. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's an interesting thing to and a provocative thing to contemplate. How did the nature of the God evolve? How did the, the role and impact of the God evolve, the psychosocial impact of the God evolve from horned one to seed God to solar deity? What, did, what was the impact of that change? Well, it was the shift in lifestyle, the, the shift in epoch. Um, when, you know, we, we tend to kind of think of those, those epochs as because we can mark them uh, on an index, we tend to think of them as overnight propositions. Mm, and but, of course they weren't. But they were not at mm. all. You know, there was each tribe wrestled with, do we follow the herds yet again this year? Or so-and-so seems to have developed this... This new invention this, called this, pigs. This, <laughs> you know? oh, and, and these plants that seem to seemed to come up from this little tiny thing you held in your hand last year. Mm, yeah. And did you risk not feeding your family or feeding your family on whether or not this tiny little thing in your hand would do the magic? Bl- well, yes. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it was a, that was a profound question probably wrestled with generation after generation. And so each each tribe made its own lifestyle decisions and adjustments mm. a, according to what they felt the di- the environment was dictating. You yeah, know, so if it was guess... freezing over, then of course you followed the herd southward, and right, right. and then you know when it looked like you were around things that would grow, maybe you hung out there. Rolling. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, so. The same was true as agriculture um, took root and you had more and more settlements and the population grew and it became more dense. 
you had then multiple generations staying in the same place. That meant you had the capacity to study the stars from a single vantage uh, point true, yeah. um, over uh, longer spans of time. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you, you got a sense for the... Recycles and so forth. The cycles bo- driven both, by the sun. Both in the sky, but also in your environment. Um, uh, our ancestors that long ago were profound environmentalists. This is interesting because it it almost looks like um, an evolution from a from a very close and tactical relationship to change, which is mm-hmm. where where is the game, mm-hmm. to a slightly longer perspective on the nature of change, which is seeds and sprouting mm-hmm. to an even bigger broader scope on the nature of change which is the the astronomical cosmological forces that impose and and cultivate right change right so we've gotten more and more abstract in a, in a way mm-hmm. more and one might say tactical versus strategic uh, although those words have sort of they have a certain charge on them that that I don't want to introduce but it's like our perspective on the God has been one of increasing abstraction. Yes, at distance. And also, um, there's a wonderful author, Leonard Schlein, who wrote The Alphabet Versus the Goddess. Fantastic book. One oh, of my absolute most favorite books on the planet. And he makes a very, very good point that um, in culture after culture, chilling accounts how the switch over to the left brain, cognitive, um, analytical, and abstract. analytical, abstract, and that how much writing yeah. and the advent of writing had to do with the um, invention and imposition of patriarchy on those societies where writing in, was being implemented. Yeah, it's almost like a almost like a um, chilling account. Yeah, it's like a, like a like a. Uh, a disenfranchisement of the right brain. Absolutely, and the goddess. And as a, as a consequence, the the emphasis on the left brain diminished the goddess. But it made me wonder if that was not also by design. That it so served patriarchy to be able to diminish women, and one of the first things it had to diminish was the goddess. Hmm. In or because your solar gods were all male. <laughs> Well, that's definitely a topic for another show. Yes, it is. <laughs> All right, so let's let's take a short break, and when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about um, about Samhain in particular. Absolutely. Okay, so we'll be right back. As promised, we're always thinking of ways to bring you a fresh new perspective. Check out this lineup of our newest shows. The Amethyst Oracle, Divination with a Queer Twist, featuring Firefly Willow's L.I.V.E. favorite, Heisey Lutmers, and his co-host, Charlie Harrington on the second Tuesday evening each month. A Shamanic Life, hosted by John Carousella on the first and third Tuesday evenings each month. What's Your Prescription for Balance with Dr. Glenna Calder the first Thursday afternoon each month. And Evolve with Robin White Turtle Lisney the third Thursday afternoon each month. Introducing our newest show the second and fourth Saturday mornings each month. 
From Beyond with mother-daughter psychic mediums, Nadia Shapiro and Dr. Barbara Williams. We're excited. Give us a listen as we continue to create new and entertaining ways for you to shine your inner light. Join us at Firefly Willows, L-I-V-E. Welcome back. I'm John Carousella, and this is A Shamanic Life. And I'm speaking with Lady Redhawk, also known as Susie Peltier, the founder of the Taoist Wiccan tradition, about the the witch's final exam, <laughs> also known as Samhain, and the power of Samhain as a, a bridge between life and death, an embodiment of death, um, recognition of the role of death uh, in uh, the process of life. Now, um, with a, a particular interest in the focus on uh, Samhain here uh, and the God, we have this this role of the hunter, uh, which, which kind of begs, uh, or kind of presents us with a challenge. Um, on the one hand, we're all in harmony and we see our animal kin and, uh, our plant kin as brothers and relatives. On the other hand, we kill them mm-hmm. in order to feed ourselves. How do we see something as brother and also as prey? That is, um, according to Joseph Campbell, probably one of the things that sparked the need for ritual was to heal or at least to acknowledge this paradox and to also recognize that occasionally the animals ate you. I guess there was that. (laughs) And so when you took a life, everything in a daily life was filled with the appropriate rites and prayers. So you didn't just go hunting because it was going to be fun. You, You did a hunting ritual. You know, uh, so uh, one of the things that I think we have this, this perception of is that we do the, that, that indigenous cultures would do hunting rituals so that the hunt would be successful, as in they would get the game. Right? That's it, was, it was almost like a, partly true. But, but that wasn't the whole story. No. The, whole, the other part of the story was that these rites and prayers had to be performed. Because in their mind, first of all, you were leaving a tremendous gash, a wound in the great mother to kill your brother if you did not do the right prayers. Right. And you also had to pray for their rebirth because next year, if they were not, um, if they were overhunted or if a blight came upon the, the, the flock or herd, you starved next year. Right. So... So it was a very uh, calculated and mindful recognition of the need to restore and maintain balance. Yes. It wasn't, oh, let's let's do a hunting dance so we can bag a bunch of game. Right, and don't we look cool in the firelight dancing around? <laughs> <laughs> and doesn't, and doesn't, it, doesn't it make us feel <laughs> macho? You know? That wasn't what it was about. No, it was not. I think that's really, I think that's a really delicate and profound aspect of the role of ritual in particular for the hunter yes. that is often misunderstood. Right. 
And how does that relate to Samhain? How do, what, t- tell us about that in the context of the Samhain experience. So Samhain is, we've talked a bit about that it's an honoring of the ancestors. Well, let's remember that our ancestors, no matter where on the planet we lived, our ancestors lived this way. So to do a hunting right is a profound honoring of the ancestors. And then, so we not only kind of personalize it with our ancestors and our dead, but just to do that touches a visceral, cellular, DNA, collective unconscious reality that sits just under whatever veneer of current culture we have. So by firelight and um, by a a shaman, a priest in our um, circle, putting himself in trance and channeling the horned one, we create, we recreate a hunting rite. And then each one of the coveners puts on a mask of a spirit guide that's going to take them through their ritual death because now the horn god, god sacrifices himself. He dies in the hunt and everyone in the coven follows him. And then in our particular rite, I channel Caridwen and she meets each, it's the horned one first and he is is met as her her twin flame, her beloved. And there is this profound, timeless reunion that is has been longed for on so many levels, both by the Horned One and by her, that when they come together, there's bliss and and one word that came through me one year was exaltation. Mm-hmm. Exaltation is mm-hmm. kind of how it mm-hmm. came through me. And so um, each uh, the God's experience is then his his death, but his reunion, his sweetness, his. It's what he's been longing for because in that individuation is a form of separation. Just like in our mortal day-to-day life, one of the things that causes us angst is that um, there seems to be a veil between our knowledge that we are divine spirits and somehow because we have a mortal body, we are separate or separated or limited by that mortal body of expressing that divinity. And we forget that it's there. And we forget, yes, the divinity is there. We forget yeah. the divinity is there. Yeah. And we forget to, so we forget to witness it in ourselves and we forget to witness it in others or honor it in others as well. Mm. So we have a breakdown of the society. And then if you get back to the hunting rights, one of the reasons they performed these rights was to continue to honor the sacredness and the divinity in their 
their animal kin. And, and I, I will say, you know, for shamans gathering herbs, for medicines and so forth, they would have the same reverence and ask yeah, the plant, yeah, you know, can I use your spirit? Can I take this bud for the medicines and so forth? Yeah. And, and would actually cultivate the seeds um, with the intention and the conversation that they that they would grow ultimately to give this sacrifice and would they be willing to do this you know it's really it's really fascinating how uh, it's, it's just striking me now that the capacity of human beings to manipulate their environment mm-hmm. um is so extraordinary you know we don't know if the tiger does a hunting ritual mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. or um, whether the, whether the sheep or the cow asks the grass if it can eat. Uh, but they don't have the same capacity to shape and overdrive right. their environment that we do. And it's almost like if we don't have these rituals, if we don't have these, the awareness of the balance and a respect for and a mindfulness for that balance and the, 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 the compelling need to keep that awareness front and center we destroy the planet mm-hmm. well i think the i think animals of in and of their own nature have are in tune with the equilibrium it is not within their capacity really you know they're they're not likely to overhunt their environment. Well, sometimes it happens. Sometimes I, it happens. But but, but, but rarer. Yeah, it's rarer. Um, and I and I just I wonder why that. I right. wonder why that is. And I think the, the 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 need for the checks and balances comes in because our capacity is greater, and that developing the we have yet to develop the question of should we. We're still. On can we? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it it points to even this research on, oh, now that we have enough um, Neanderthal DNA, can we clone clone one? Instead of should we clone one, it would be alone in the world. What kind of quality of life would it have? Yeah, we we do have a... a Would it have human rights? Yeah. Civil rights? Yeah. You know, a lot of different things, but uh, I digress. The, the 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 important thing to understand, I think, about um, the Samhain experience is that it is a trance, an opportunity for trance to go beyond, move beyond form, and you wear and and, and traditionally masks have been associated with Halloween but not with an understanding that it is coming from a shamanic tool to allow you to release the ego, shed your consciousness or the tip of the consciousness, the thoughtful mind, and experience something. And these, this is to experience a shamanic ordeal, a practice death, and to um, sit in long firelight meditation in silence and see what the ancestors might tell you. Mm. So it's um, a, a chance to reconnect 
and with the, the oldest, most primal parts of ourselves. And also, and I mentioned earlier, life's heart, this, this idea of this, this collective mythos of, um, the human experience. And the beauty of Wicca, I think, is that it does not demand that you take anything literally. It simply says, look at the metaphor. Look at the intention of the work and know that ritual is an acting out of that intention in order to make that a real experience. To embody it. To embody it. To embody the philosophical, to embody the... To embody the metaphor. The metaphor. Embody the metaphor. And the myth. And embodying that myth, embodying that metaphor, connects us to... 30, 40, 50,000 years of people embodying that experience and that metaphor both. Yes. Because we've been hunting yeah. for as long as we've been human. Time immemorial. Yeah. So as we, when we choose to embody that metaphor, we connect to that. Yes. So let's just touch on this one more time. Why is that the God? The gods in ancient times had a very practical aspect. The gods generally fed you or kept you alive in some way. Mm, okay. And you were facing down winter. <laughs> okay. So this is, Samhain and Beltane are both uh, rutting seasons in the northern climates. Um, and it is frankly easier to hunt a rutting animal because they are not paying attention. Mm. Um, but it is also that you had to thin the herd so that the herd survived also. Mm -hmm. So um, this idea that you needed meat for the winter and you needed to get your last harvest in. So Samhain is also the last harvest. Um, so it is the death of the grain god, the very, very last death of the grain god for the year. Mm -hmm. um, and the sun has been dead a while. It died at summer solstice. And in myth, it had, it planted, he planted his seed of his rebirth in that last hurrah right, with the before he died. Right. And he is gestating and moving toward rebirth at Yule. Mm. Meanwhile, she is regenerating. So at Samhain, she's a crone and a widow. And by Yule, she'll be the mother giving birth again. Hmm. And then you'll follow the god as child, then um, uh, children, playmates. Then he becomes the consort of the goddess. They're married at Beltane. And then he, they have the sweet honey month. He yeah. dies in a crescendo. The year um, switches now, goes into decline. We have the first harvest, Lamas, second harvest, Mabon, where we we honor that the whole year has been a grail quest for our wholeness because we need that wholeness. We need that balance to go into the dark times and to recognize our shadows, the very things that frighten us and so forth, because this is a journey through our collective unconscious, 
through our personal unconscious, through the depths or the dark night of the soul, as the shamans would call it, into this rebirth. And you can't take your baggage with you, which means, and most of our baggage is tied up in frets and fears and, and woulda, coulda, shouldas and, and blaming others and old resentments and hostilities and all of that as a matter of very straightforward mental health. Mm-hmm. All of that needed to be put to rest. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you would go stark, raving bonkers. So in the dead of winter. So the so the uh, so the god in, in the form of the sacred hunter and the horned one at Samhain sacrifices himself to create a to, as an example to feed the tribe. Yeah. And and to sh- and as an example of shedding, uh, also as an example of shedding, mm-hmm. shedding yeah. that which is impermanent. Yes. Um, and I guess that you know the in the ritual, those who follow the horned one mm-hmm. with their masks mm-hmm. are following the example of self of of dropping that which is impermanent through an act of right. uh, ritual death. Right. Or you could say the ego, or you could say self-deception. You know, the wording is entirely per your individual intention. Right. And each that can change each year. As a spiral. You're never in the same place twice. Right. 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 Never the same sound. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Well, we're almost out of time. Um Anything? Thank you so much. It was really fun. <laughs> Anything, any last thoughts you want to share about Samhain and the God? Just be gentle with yourselves. Um, this is this is a time of laying to rest, uh, and a time when we can be more susceptible to nostalgia you know give in to that if there's if there are fences to be mended or or letters that could be written or phone calls that could be made or resolution that could be had reach out and make it because the god and goddess have a transcendent a love that is transcendent Love finds itself again. It bridges life and death. And I've had in my own experiences profound past life recollections of recognition, knowing that that people I've loved, we've had found each other in this life again. Mm. And so I, I, I would say be gentle and kindle that because love is the sustaining force. And... We can't be distracted by a culture that thinks all things are discardable. Right, for sure. <laughs> yeah, one and, thing. And, that lo- and love transcends the impermanent. Yes, because it truly is the um, the glue that holds the universe together. Mm. Great. And thank you for thank you for having me, John. And is, if folks want to get to know you or your work a little bit better, yes, yes. Um, SusiePeltier.com. Okay. And I'm looking forward to, I'm currently developing a new show 
to be on Firefly Willows with uh, uh, with John's other uh, wonderful uh, playlists of shows. It's going to be called Discovering Taoist Wicca. And I'm very much looking forward to, to working with you on that. That's going to be a great show. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Thank you. All right. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. And we'll be right back. Yes, we've added to our lineup of lively, thought-provoking shows. But don't forget our original Sunday morning lineup at 10.30 a.m. Join us for Healing Conversations with Mildred Lynn McDonald every first Sunday. Revolution with Heisey Lutmers every second Sunday. Convergence with John Carousella every third Sunday. And our popular on-air call-in show the fourth Sunday of every month. We're excited. Give us a listen as we continue to create new and entertaining ways for you to shine your inner light. Join us at Firefly Willows, L-I-V-E. Well, that's our show. This year's Samhain occurred between a lunar eclipse and a solar eclipse, with Mercury in retrograde under a dark moon. Perfect for shedding and releasing and reviewing and anticipating the new. There are big changes afoot all around us. Changes all a part of the great rebalancing of life and universe. Embrace it. Love it. And stand confidently in it. Confident that you are loved by the stars, the moon, Mother Earth, the God, and the Goddess. Until next time. Thanks for listening. Thank you for joining us. This program was brought to you by Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. We hope you enjoyed the show. This is Deb Carousella. Please join us next time on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E for What's Your Prescription for Balance? with Mildred Lynn McDonald and Dr. Glenna Calder, Thursday afternoon at 3.30 p.m.